get warmed up here. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right, I'm going into it. Oh, welcome everybody to the web.com podcast. Been a while for me. Been on a four month long coke binge could have been could have been but i have the keys to the show this week and uh, on the other side i have uh the owner of the money makers are the one and only mingo fresh how you doing it's never gonna not be weird to be on this side of things but i gotta say you really killed that welcome everybody so we're we're starting good today yeah, that was redemption. I feel like my last two have been subpar. I think process the, to get there. <laughs> I think the feedback was I did great on the rest of the pod, but your your welcome everybody was subpar. I think that was <laughs> what the feedback was last time. So I think I started a lot stronger. So we'll maybe go downhill from here, but <laughs> I'm sure we will with my fucking team. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about it. Twenty twenty three, the money makers. Four and one start, one and eight finish. Um, and we t- we've talked for years that this was potentially coming. Um, and ultimately, it came all at once week six, the, the end. Um, did this year have a different feel to it coming in? Did you see this coming at all? Um, not really. Like, I think going into last season, I accepted that this wasn't the team that it used to be anymore. I, I knew it wasn't going to be pretty, uh, wasn't going to be dominant, but I really still did feel like this was a playoff team. I, I expected to get in. I expected to compete one, maybe one last time. Uh, and the four and one start confirmed that for me, like at that point of the season, I'm sitting there thinking, okay, yeah, everything's going as I expected it to go. You know, I, I got Dan and I got Tim, but I, I'm comfortably sitting here in, in this position in the next tier of the league. And when it, I mean, I obviously made my, my move, I made my Devin white trade at that time thinking, you know, I'm going to give this one last real try and it just slipped through my fingers like week after week, one loss after another, suddenly I was starting to have to confront reality. And that is that it doesn't always go the way that you think it's going to go. It doesn't always, you know, you don't catch the breaks that you need to always. And then suddenly you're staring at a potential rebuild in the face. So mm-hmm. it was definitely a weird season. Yeah, yeah. And um, the uh, the just get in has been a, a huge theme throughout these behind the curtains with, with Caleb's year, with some of these other teams' years. Did um, Dan and Tim, the strength of those teams, do you think if those two teams are out there that, 
aren't out there that you that this gets held off a little bit? Do you think the team just fell off too much? Basically, did the strength of Dan and Tim affect some of these decisions throughout the year? I think it did. I yeah, I don't I don't think I would have been so eager to just throw it in um had that not been the case. Like I from my point of view, it was sort of like here's your opportunity. Because if you try to mess around with these teams with what's going on here, I mean you're looking at a 139 in week six against Dave. That's a playoff team. I mean you're you're sitting there wondering like what is the ceiling of this team this season and at that point it was like i don't think i can compete with these guys at that point in time i don't think anybody was expecting you know this five seed run that we saw end up happening and so for me it was like well you know this might be my best chance to get value out of some of these older pieces on my roster and so I just explored opportunities to do that. And it just so happened that I, you know, I found some some chances to get out on a few players. Yeah, and we're definitely going to get more into some of the specifics of some of those moves here throughout the podcast. Um, but speaking of those decisions, I think your year this year was one of the most interesting player movement years we've ever seen in web. Um, so I'm looking forward to to getting more into that, but let's start at the 2022 rookie draft. Um, we've talked, one of the things that I feel like I bring up in the podcast a lot is how you always just manage to get your guy. Um, and I was looking into the last draft and I was putting together a whole question about, ah, oh, just explain to me how you got George Pickens. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, wait a minute, he got fucking Drake London too. I had the whole question centered around George Pickens, but Drake London, talk to me about the evaluation process, the movement process that went into positioning yourself to get up to make that selection. That's funny. Cause I, I listened to my behind the curtain from last year to refresh myself on where I was. And then I, that, that prompted me to jump into some draft stuff from last year to like remind myself because it feels like so long ago. And yet like that Drake London saga was really something for me. Like the process of identifying this player as like, I think you brought it up as like, if, if he likes a wide receiver so much more than the next one that he was willing to pay this to get him, like, then I guess so be it. And that's really what it came down to. Like he fit my mold of player. I thought he had elite potential. I thought he was a, a, a real blue chip wide receiver prospect. He gets the draft capital with, you know, top 10 to Atlanta. Everything just synced up for me to to say, I need to go get this player. And so once I identified that, like there was a point in time last year where I was like, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. Like, I'm just going to be composed. I'm going to let the draft come to me. I don't need to get crazy. I don't need to make this big splash move. But as time went on, I was talking to all those teams. I was talking to Riley. I was talking to Josh and I was talking to Colin at five, four and three, trying to figure out if there was a path 
to get up to a spot where I could draft Drake London. And time and time again, those talks just kind of stalled out. It seemed like Riley and Josh kind of had their guys in mind. They were pretty comfortable to sit where they were. And Colin was the wild card because he was sitting at one. And I thought there was an opportunity for him to, you know, take Brees and move back into the draft and pick up some additional value. So that conversation kind of continued for months, literally months and months of like, hey, how are we doing on this? Like, you want you want to do this thing? And when it came down to it, it was we were literally at the uh, the Xfinity races. <laughs> I'm oh, sitting there right. in a lawn chair. I got a cold beer in my hand, and I said, "Why are we screwing around with this? Why are we messing around? Why am I messing around? Go get your damn guy." And I sent the offer of six, nine, and seventeen, and he said, "Damn, I'm gonna have to really think about that." And at that point, I knew it was done. Like I knew I had him with that, and. I mean, it was a hell of a, uh, it was a hell of a price to pay. And a year later, like, do I regret that? Uh, not really, but it's buffered by the second pick I was able to make in the first round because had that not happened, I think it would have been a little bit harder to swallow (laughs) knowing what we know now. Yeah. You threw out the, the, the lure there, you set the hook and then all that's left is just reel him in. He's on, he's on the line. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah i did i liked how you kind of because i know we made a move there too where you moved up one spot just mm. to kind of keep moving up add God, a little value about all that yeah, all that make, movement man <laughs> make it a little more enticing for someone to move down um but yeah caleb i think pioneered that that one Najee year he kept moving up until he got to the point where he could strike yeah there was a lot of moves and it like it's kind of like that thing where sometimes you ask people like, how did this deal come together? And it's like, well, it just did for the, in the, in terms of that number three trade, that was like chipping away and just getting the assets that I thought I needed to make that kind of move. And the nail in the coffin was that he didn't want to go to seven because he didn't like the tear break there. And so I said, if I get six, do, can we talk? And he said, sure. And I went and got six and I said, all right, let's talk, buddy. <laughs> and then we got the, then we got the trade done. Oh, that's unfortunate here. I thought I was going to maybe make a trade up for Drake London on draft <laughs> night. And it turns out it was my trade that started yeah. it all. That's great. You were the piece of the puzzle, man. That got <laughs> Damn it. <done>. it. <laughs> all right. George Pickens. Um, thinking about that one now, I think that came to you a little bit easier. I think it was, uh, just Carter getting out of that spot. Was there anything special that went into that one? I mean, the one thing I'll say about it, I know it got highly criticized on, on draft night, obviously, like, especially knowing what we know now, like he wasn't the two Oh one, like, you know, it, it looks a little bit worse, obviously. And we know what Pickens looked like this year. I mean, for me, it was just a matter of, you know, I, I see this player on the clock at 10 like I was going to take him at nine when I controlled that pick. I just went over and said, Hey, you know, and I, and here I'm thinking I got to give up, you know, 15 and something else. And I kind of just threw it out there as a first offer. Like, Hey, your pick next year, man, it's going to be two Oh one in a loaded class. You want to do this thing? And man, the man was, uh, certainly in his right mind. There were no influencing factors that went into <laughs> the, the accept of that, but yeah, we got it done. And you know, that, 
that right there kind of, you know, the price that I paid to get up to three, it sort of alleviated that because one of those firsts that I paid was going to be Pickens. So swap in, you know, 2023 second for 109 and I feel the value feels a little bit easier to swallow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if if everyone's keeping score at home, Carter, maybe you want to cover your ears, but like you mentioned, not the 2.01, 2.05, uh, which now has been traded down to a, a late second rounder picking up Chad Muma. Um, <laughs> so that's where we're at. Um, turn that first into that late second and Chad Muma. Hey, man, it's a chess game, right? Uh, all right, let's talk Devin White, uh, an interesting player for you. We're going down this path of interesting player movement here. This was a big part of that. Um, you have a second rounder in James Cook that you gave up for him, uh, or previous second rounder, um, and a 25 first. Ultimately, didn't end up working out for you. Um, has this... Has that specific trade impacted any of your IDP strategy, any of your going all in strategy? Um, you could just go into a little bit of a summary of the beginning, part one of the Devin White saga. Yeah, so I I mean, to answer your question, I think, yes, it has impacted my IDP strategy because I think when I made the trade, It was at a point in time during the season where, you know, I was, I had a little bit of momentum and I saw the shape of the league and I said to myself, you have to do something. You have to send it. You have to get a premium asset. You have to make a statement to the league that you are not rolling over. Like that was where my head was at making that trade. And I texted Parker. I knew Devin White would be available I said, hey, man, let's do this thing. And, you know, we got it done pretty quickly. And, you know, coming out of it, seeing what happened, reflecting on the price that I paid, I just I really came away from this season wondering if it's worth it for IDPs at this point. And I think a lot of teams maybe are in the same boat where they saw some of the moves that were getting made for some of these linebackers and then you see what you know Caleb's doing over there trading thirds for linebacker ones and you know obviously that's not always going to work uh, every season but yeah to to think about you know the fact that I have this premium 2025 first now uh what will will be probably a premium 2025 first and then I traded that for a player that didn't really help me at all during his short time on my roster, it, it really did sort of, you know, put a sour taste in my mouth. It's, it's part of the reason why I, you know, ended up making the second move. All right. We will move on from that one. Uh, we'll revisit that one though later. Um, October 20th, 2022. Does that day hold any meaning to you? I, I, I think it does. Yes. <laughs> Do you know what happened that day? Is that the day that my soul died? Yep. <laughs> yep. It is. Travis Kelsey. Um, I I think we've talked we've talked this got some attention on the, the regular season pods, but um talk me through the entire 
process that goes into trading the the face of your franchise um and maybe as a second part question how we see this a lot in web but how do these emotional bonds impact some of these decisions and the ability to make the correct decisions let me take a big drink before i answer this all right so travis kelsey that trade starts as an idea as a fantasy basically of me being a down in the dirt on the wrong side of success former contender like think of some like guy wearing ratty clothes holding a paper bag with a bottle in it like that was me at that point like i'm just stumbling my way through 2022 and i started to get kind of silly just text him one day like hey man you want travis kelsey just never, a joke <laughs> never once thought it was real never once thought it was a real text but we had talked about it a little bit in the summer um just again kind of casually not really expecting much to happen and then it gets brought up again and he was like yeah man i mean i am interested like i this is it's WebEx. I'm full send. I want Travis. He's the missing piece. And I said, I know he is. I know this is the missing piece for your team. And then it starts to kind of become more and more real when the deal starts to make sense. And so, you know, I, I wanted Pitts plus initially. It wasn't going to happen. And the, the more I sat with it, the more I realized, you know, this is just a this is a classic case of the the player for player swap that just makes sense for both sides. Don't get greedy and think about what this deal is. So I took three and a half days and it was three and a half days of agony. Like I'm, I'm pacing in my kitchen. Like I'm, I'm working and I'm just pacing for hours you know, on a work day thinking about, does this deal make sense? Can I do this? Can I physically handle doing this? Can I watch Tim send messages and gifts to the web chat once this happens? These are all things that I was thinking about in, in the days that I was sitting with this. And by, I think it was probably day two, I started to realize that it was probably going to happen. And day three was all about convincing myself to pull the trigger. And so during that time, it's a lot of watching Kyle Pitts highlight reels. It's a lot of, you know, just getting yourself psyched up to press accept, getting excited about the future and, and this player. And, you know, once that happens it, or once the deal happened, it was sort of like a gut punch. Like it, you, you see it in the web chat deal is complete and you're like, wait a minute, hold on a second. Like, did this really just happen? And I mean, it was, uh, to, to the second part of your question, emotional bonds, emotional forging that happens here. It's a real thing. It's, it's a real thing. I mean, like it's so dumb and it's, it, it's, it really is so dumb, but like, I I literally cried when I traded Travis Kelsey. 
like literal human tears left my face when I made that trade. So you want to talk oh. about emotional investments in dynasty fantasy football? I got them. And Travis was the embodiment of that. I mean, it's a lot of just, you know, where did we start and where are we now? You go back to 2014. What does your life look like? What does your team look like? And to think about how far you came and everything that has happened with this player on your roster, realizing that in many ways, this trade single-handedly entered my team into a new era. This was the trade that said to me and everybody else, moneymakers, it's phase two. We're done. We're moving into something completely different. And so I think that was as, as difficult as anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the true cutting of the cord that kind of it sent a message. Um, spe- specifically, those first moments after the hitting the accept button, I feel like those are truly when you know how you are feeling about it. Take me through those that first like minute. How are you feeling? The first minute, it it's a lot of pain, but I knew it was the right move. Like it's like a sense of relief almost. Yes, that it really was. Like it hurts. You have to accept this new version of reality, but at the same time, it was like this is over now, and. You made the you made the right choice. You made the move that you needed to make. You proved that you could set that emotional side of it to the side and make the move that's right for your team. And it's honestly changed everything for me. Moving on, it's like if you could trade Travis, you could do anything. Like you could make any move. Every, any player is expendable. Any deal is there. If the value's right, you can make the trade. And so for me, that's what that trade was. It was hey, man, like once you get past this like pain of trading a player that you love, <laughs> it's okay because you come out better on the other side. Yeah. Um, my next question was going to be six months out. How do you feel about it? But I think you kind of you answered that. Uh, well, and I will say, too, I mean, like I, I think this got brought up when we uh, talked to Tim, but like I really do feel like great about the trade. And he says the same thing. Like I feel like Kyle Pitts is, is a building block and a cornerstone for the future of what the moneymakers are going to be. I've no, I've lost no confidence in the player at all. Um, I think it's ridiculous that people have even begun to think about counting this guy out when he's younger than the tight end one from this draft class that, hasn't even been drafted yet so i mean yeah i feel great about it and i know you know obviously tim is gonna enjoy the the remaining years of the greatest tight end of our lifetime mm-hmm. he'll be back on the on that team eventually. <laughs> <laughs> that that was gonna be the next part we, we got this black circle and sleeper right now mm. what's the plan is there an is there a new dare i say Mr. Moneymaker? There is no new Mr. Moneymaker. It's the, the moniker is retired with Travis, and we have begun the process of 
building the new brand, building what the, the, the face of the brand will look like. I've considered uh, professional outsourcing, and I've also considered just getting on Canva and getting fucking weird. So once I make my final decision of what <laughs> the money makers are going to look like, it will be uh, unveiled. All right. Looking forward to that. All right. Moving into, we're going to switch gears into part two of the Devin White saga here. The second Devin White deal in which you reacquired your 2024 first. um, And the Dalvin deal, another important deal. How have these deals impacted your future moves, your flexibility? Um, Talk me through those. Yeah, well, the first one, the linebacker trade, I mean, I don't like it's I thought the value was good, like the like for the dynasty team, like what they're trying to do. I thought it all made sense. But for me, I was happy to get out of them. I really was like I was happy to get out of Devin White. I didn't love the things I was hearing about him and he wasn't performing well for me. He obviously performed much better once he was on Colin's team. So Colin feels a lot better about the trade that he made than I ma- than I felt about the one I made. But I was just happy to get some what I thought could be premium first round picks, at least the 2024 one of my own um for players that I didn't view as essential to the next chapter of my team. Um, you know, J- Jordan Brooks draft and develop story. I, I really, you know, love the player, but again, it's one of those things where I still had Nick Bolton as kind of a centerpiece in that, in that room. And I thought I could kind of get some value out of some other stars that I had there. And so, I felt good about that. I felt great about getting some picks back after making that first Devin White trade. I, I was feeling very like deplete, like just depleted. Like my whole pick stock was gone. My future was in shambles. Like I didn't know where I was going. So getting those first two back was was great. Then the Dalvin trade just was kind of like the cherry on top, where it's like, now I get these two picks in back-to-back years that I think could have a lot of value. I'll be able to inject youth into my team over an extended period of time. I think my team is already, at least in terms of the core, pretty young. So sustaining it with a few firsts down the road, um, I think was, is going to be good for me. I, I wasn't interested in doing this whole, like, you know, strip down, get five firsts in one year thing, because a, my roster wasn't really constructed to do that. I didn't really have that sort of ammo to to trade away. But also, um, I, I wanted to spread it out more over time so that I had a little bit of added you know, flexibility in, in case uh, things happened more quickly than I thought they would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I especially love the Devin White deal for you specifically this year. Similar to Parker getting his 20 20- four first back as well it impacts every move you make this year um and you don't have that 25 first but you can always get the team back to where it needs to be to lessen the impact of that but to get that 24 first back this year 
I think that just impacts every move you're going to make here in the next few months. It totally does, yeah. All right. Speaking of upcoming decisions, the NFL draft is a, a week away from tonight. That's incredible. How'd that happen? Oh. Um, and you have two thirds and three fourths. And most owners, I know I would count them out from getting back into the first, but I, I know better uh, with you than to count you out at all. Um, are there any prospects that have your eyes similar to Drake London at this point um, that could necess- necessitate being aggressive and trying to make a move? And if so, how where would you begin? Yeah, um, honestly, not really right now. I mean, I've had some discussions, very preliminary discussions involving some picks in this draft that didn't really materialize. And honestly, part of that was because I just really didn't love some of the value in terms of where some of the picks land in this one. Um, I love the top end. I, and, and and I'm not getting there, you know, I'm not getting to Bajan, <laughs> but I'm not getting to Bajan <laughs> and I'm not getting to JSN and, you know, Charbonnet and Gibbs. I, I, I like a lot as well. Outside of that, I think it's kind of a, a pretty wide open draft. And so for me, really, it's going to, it's going to be a draft night deal. I don't, there's, I can't think of anybody right now that would make me get super aggressive and try to like make some moves. Um, there's obviously players that I really like in the second round this year, but uh, again, I mean, if those players uh, start to fall on draft night, then those then those potential trades become a little bit easier than trying to turn you know thirds into a high second or something. So I'll probably just kind of take it how it goes, and you know, obviously I. Uh, with you know camp dynasty all of that stuff like i'm excited about my thirds and fourths this year um i think it's a deep class i think there's a lot of names and potential value in the later rounds so i kind of like where i'm sitting right now honestly yeah take let's take off the camp dynasty lens moneymaker lens any specific players you're looking at um with those thirds and fourths you got any names for us um I could throw out some names. I mean, I there's a lot of running backs in this class, obviously, uh, and my team could use some flyers at the position, I guess. I mean, top of the third, uh, kind of talking about a tier that includes a couple guys that I really like. Roshan Johnson is one of them. Kendra Miller is another one. Um, and there's some other players as well. A uh, lot of running backs that, you know, we'll see what happens to their value after the NFL draft. But I feel pretty confident that I can get at least one running back at the top of the third that I like. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm just hoping to add players that I that I like and that can hope hopefully turn into something more than, you know, what you'd expect to find in the third round. Mm-hmm. Good draft class for that, too. So. Not a bad year to only have thirds and fourths. That's yeah, very yep. true. Yep. All right. Web 11 coming up for the moneymakers. Where where do you picture yourself? Where do you finish? What kind of moves are you looking to make? What do you think is going to happen this year? I have no freaking idea. <laughs> <laughs> 
I honestly have no idea what to expect because, you know, kind of you know, coming out of last year, I kind of thought, you know, this is a, this is a top three pick. You know, I got my 24 first back. It's going to be top three. I'll get a chance at a, at a really good player to add to the lineup. And then when I sit down and look at the team, I mean, I think there is a scenario where this team overperforms. I, I think there is a pathway where some of these young players kind of have an accelerated development plan. And suddenly you're talking about a team that's kind of holding its own in a weakened big five. And so I don't know what to think. I'm obviously not. I'm not going into the year thinking about contending at all. I don't want to contend, to be honest with you. I'm I'm perfectly comfortable sitting uh, on the sidelines as this, you know, pirate crew and insulin pens era fizzles um, and hopefully end up with a top pick um, in 2024. But we'll see. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to turn away from from com- from competition, I'm going to be looking to win games um, just as a competitor. So um, we'll see what happens. All right, I'm done grilling you. You you done sweating? You sweating oh, back yeah, there? Yeah, I, <laughs> I need some fucking deodorant or something. <laughs> All right, thank you as always for the peek behind the curtain um, from everyone at Web. What you do for Webb and the podcast is it's unmatched. Uh, like Josh said, elite, elite host. Um, when when I prepare for this pod every year, I always sit there for an hour getting my questions ready just so I can live up to to the <laughs> standards that Mingo sets on a weekly basis. So it's incredible. It's one of the biggest reasons why Webb is what it is, is this podcast. Um, so thank you from everybody. You know what, man? I I love it. I love doing it. It it's it doesn't feel like it's anything out of the ordinary. I just love coming here and talking with you guys. So it's a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, the floor is yours, as it always is. But we're we're turning it back to you for another year. Do you got anything to say to sign us off here? Sure, I got something to say. I'm so fucking sick and tired of people running their goddamn mouths about these players that aren't performing immediately and doing this or that. I mean, I'm going to continue to send out my periodic Kyle Pitts tweets whenever I see some dynasty dweeb talking about Kyle Pitts being a tier four dynasty tight end or do we still believe in Kyle Pitts or any of these things. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. You're an idiot. Knock it off. Kyle Pitts is 23 years old. He's going to be just fine. Everybody fucking calm down. Just like Drake London's going to be just fine. Everybody just needs to relax and play the game of Dynasty because that's what we play here. We don't play, you know, oh, if, uh, if Sky Moore isn't good in his first year, then we have to sell them for a third, like I'm pretty sure I said on some podcasts. <laughs> we're, we're not doing that. We're not no doing way. that, Mingo. Knock it off. That's not how Dynasty works. Give it time. Let these players develop. That is, I mean, these Dynasty dweebs, man, I'm getting on Twitter every day and I'm mowing them down with a fucking light machine gun because I can't handle these takes 
And this is what people are this is what people are following and paying attention to. It's horrific. So I'm gonna keep running the money makers the money maker way, and we're gonna see where that takes us in 2023 and beyond. God, I love that new coined term you got there, the dynasty dweebs. <laughs> That's the perfect name for all those losers on the the Twitter app, and now they don't even have their check marks nope. anymore. Fuck them. <laughs> All right. Well, that's that's it. I forget how you sign these off. Um, well, let me a great week. <laughs> yeah. Let's make it a great week. Also, I just want to clue you in for Asia and everybody else. Potentially next week, we're taking a break from behind the curtain mm. because guess what next week is draft week. It's fucking draft week. It's web mock 1.0. So that's where we're headed. Oh, that's where we're headed, Fraser. You just came oh. back at the perfect time, brother. <laughs> oh, I'm refreshed, ready to mock, man. Let's, do it, man. Let's go. Oh, yep. Well, thanks, Mingo. Thanks, everyone, for listening week in, week out. We'll see you next week for Web Mock 1.0. <laughs> <laughs>